It's Friday, April the 28th, and this is the Dutch News Podcast, your weekly chance to catch up with what's been going on here in the Netherlands. I'm Paul Peters, King's Knight survivor and master student in civil engineering, and with me today is Gordon Tarek, contributing editor for Dutch News and flag protocol expert. Our regular panel member Molly Quell is still in the United States on a road trip, but she'll be back with us next week. And have we heard from Molly during the week? Has she uh, had any news? Yes, she told us the uh, Empire State Building in New York colored uh, orange uh, yesterday, as well as uh, uh, the president's face was a bit more orange than usual. <laughs> so uh, all in celebration of King's uh, Day. And Gordon, did you receive a ribbon this year? No, I didn't. I was one of the few people who didn't get any kind of decoration <laughs> from the king. I was overlooked again. Yes, again, because uh, 2,819 others uh, received uh, a ribbon or a lintje, as it mm. is called in Dutch. It's a uh, royal distinction. Uh, Extinction, and it's uh, traditionally handed out the day before King's Day. Yeah, and uh, were there any prominent people among the uh, recipients? Yes, uh, infamous uh, tattoo artist Hank Schiefmacher received one, uh-huh. and uh, so it's uh, yeah. yeah because of his contribution to society. It is, it's because his contribution to decorating people's skin, and, uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and contribution to football fans. And, yes, he, uh, he could have tat- tattooed yeah. the distinction on his own. Uh, <laughs> he, he should. Maybe he's going to do that. Yeah, <laughs> he should. We'll if to. there's any room left, uh, <laughs> I'm not entirely sure. Yeah. Did yeah. you uh, celebrate King's Night? Uh, I didn't. No, I, I kind of stayed in with the. Uh, uh, with the kids, but yeah. did, did you go out? Uh, yeah, I did mm. go to the Hague, but I uh, immediately left when I heard the music. <laughs> <laughs> That's probably the best time to yes, leave. Yes, indeed. 200,000 other people visited the Hague uh, yeah. on King's Night, um, and uh, thousands of others visited music festivals all over the country uh, on King's Day. 150,000 people went to Tilburg. That's where the king mm. uh, celebrated uh, his birthday, and it was uh, much uh, less crowded than usual because of the uh, cold weather. Um, yeah, and also I was. Um, um, Particularly interested to hear the sound of bagpipes uh, during the course of the uh, King's uh, <laughs> yeah, you welcome as, parade. You oh. as a Scottish person, you were very <laughs> delighted to hear the, the bagpipes, but that was because Tilburg is uh, liberated uh, in, after World War II by uh, a Scottish division. Mm-hmm. So in honour of the, the Scottish uh, soldiers, they uh, played the bagpipe. Yeah. That was also the reason why so few uh, people uh, were in Tilburg. Um, <laughs> yeah, they were obviously born in advance. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we Scots got, all the, got to liberate all the glamorous parts. <laughs> yes. Yeah. This week we'll be discussing uh, orange kings on television, orange ties in Brussels and the orange tragedy that is the Dutch national football team. We do have other non-orange news, mostly a dog on a trip to Wonderland. Well, our top story was that uh, more than 4 million people tuned in on Wednesday night to watch an interview with King Willem-Alexander to mark his 50th birthday. The hour-long conversation with sports journalist Wilfried de Jong was described as relaxed and open by royal watchers. The king spoke, among other things, about the MH17 plane crash, the death of his brother Friso following a skiing accident, and how he struggled as a teenager to accept that one day he would take over from his mother. He also said that he'd instructed his daughter's bodyguards not to tell him everything they were up to so that they could learn to set their own boundaries. Well, that's uh, very nice of him. As yeah, so he's very sort of sensible, progressive parent. Yeah, he's indeed. A very Dutch king. Uh, so he's 50, but uh, age is just a number. That's what he said, and he? he said 50 is the new 30. And uh, <laughs> he, he's, uh, he's, uh, I think he was making the point that as long as you stay in touch with uh, you know, the generation below you, you, you don't have to feel old. Um, 
Yeah, and he was really open-hearted in this interview, wasn't he? Yeah, it was quite a personal interview, wasn't it, on a lot of things. Particularly, he talked about the start of the century, there were lots of ups and downs. Obviously, he got married, he married Queen Maxima in a big ceremony, but um, not long after that, of course, his um, uh, his father died, Prince Klaus. Um, Prince Bernard, I think, also died uh, a couple of years later, and um, it made him realise how bad you could miss somebody when um, yeah, when they're gone. And uh, speaking of his wedding, uh, there was uh, one uh, very interesting wedding guest. Uh... Yes, indeed. He said that um, uh, he'd, uh, he'd got to know um, Nelson Mandela. He counted Mandela as a real kind of close close friend or uh, anyway, close associate. Well, he, he said close friend. Um, and he, he, he said that uh, growing up, he was he, he, he was filmed, I think, uh, kind of uh, singing and dancing to the free Nelson Mandela song when Mandela was mm. in prison. And then later on, he actually got to meet him. And he said that was a right. real special moment. Yeah. And then Mandela Mandela said to him, you know, when you get married one day, make sure you, you, you don't forget your friend from South Africa. And so he sent an invitation and sure enough, uh, Mandela turned up and he mm. said later he discovered that he'd, uh, he'd, um, he'd cancelled an appointment to make sure that yeah. he could be at, uh, uh, yeah, at uh, the Crown Prince's as he then was uh, wedding. Uh, and and he, t- he, he uh, revealed that he was bullied when he was in school. Yeah, didn't he? So he said because uh, he grew up or he spent his uh, very early years uh, in uh, Bahn. Um, but then when they moved to The Hague and he went to school there, he, he got teased about his reading regional accent so mm-hmm. he ended up intensively studying uh, Van Gorten and de Bee which is a, a popular program at that time so he could learn and, and they had a section in they on the on the Hague accent yeah, they, they, <laughs> these uh, these actors they came from the Hague so they yeah. had this very thick Hagish accent yeah. So, uh, yeah so so he so he studied that and uh, and, and that was how he kind of eradicated his ah. uh, his rural accent but but then later on he went and to... he, he he kept the uh, Hague accent uh, <laughs> throughout his uh, yeah. his uh, later years yeah, yeah he's he, still being mocked about it indeed yeah even when he went away to school in uh, in Wales <laughs> so that was that, that was something he talked about wasn't he? to uh, at some point in his teenage years he, he the, the family was going through a bit of a difficult time was he bullied in Wales for his uh, the Hague accent I don't they really picked it up in Wales no, <laughs> <laughs> they weren't so aware of it there. Maybe that's why he went all the way out to Wales. And as the uh, House of Orange was celebrating the king's birthday, the, the other orange uh, uh, pride of the Netherlands uh, had a bit of a rough uh, week. Well, months, actually, <laughs> because the search for the uh, coach of the Dutch national football team appears to be a never-ending story. But on Wednesday, it finally came to a conclusion. The former manager, Danny Blind, was forced to resign after a string of disastrous results, including losing to Bulgaria. After a number of candidates ruled themselves out or turned down the job, the National Football Association, KNVB, finally found its saviour in Dick Advocaat, who is currently the manager of Turkish club Fenerbahce. It will be Advocaat's third spell as manager of the Dutch national team, and Ruud Gullet will become his assistant coach. Yeah, so an interesting choice, because they were talking very much about looking to the future and needing to rebuild the team, and they've ended up with Dick Advocaat, who's nearly 17 and has done the job twice before. <laughs> yeah, so... Um, <laughs> he's not the future let's say that <laughs> it doesn't really represent the future does he well, who turned the job down then well an, a, a number of big names for example Frank de Boer uh, Louis van Gaal of course who we, who we all know uh, Ronald Koeman uh, they were either too busy with other things or they just uh, 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 realised there's not much to gain uh, or they were just uh, simply afraid for losing their face yeah, and or, their good name yeah or they were just washing their hair yeah so they, were, <laughs> they, were, they were busy going <laughs> to the shop so. yeah. yeah and Hinton Carter he, he was offered it and he said he turned it down because he said he didn't feel he had the backing of the whole board. Right? Yeah, something like that. But first he accepted, and then uh, he called the KNVB and said, well, I'm not going to do it anyway. So. Yeah, 
Yeah, yeah second thoughts. Yeah, yeah so it, when when nobody is available, you end up with Dick of yeah, the Yeah, and he's got some history with Ruud Gullit as well, of course, yeah. who's now his assistant. Uh, yes, they do have a uh, history. Um, Ruud Gullit was uh, playing in the Dutch national team in 1994, and then uh, Ruud Gullit refused to join the national team in the... Uh, world championships in Brazil uh, because he uh, didn't uh, have trust in uh, Advocaat's uh, 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 plan and uh, strategy. So they do have a bit of history and I'm uh, hoping they uh, <laughs> overcome their differences well, they're, uh, by they're now. Gonna, they're going to have to bury the hatch. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So five, five qualifying matches to go. Can, um, can Advocaat turn it around? Uh, well, I, I think technically he can, but what we have to wait. It will be very difficult, and he he's not going to uh, lead the team until July because uh, uh, he still has a contract with. Yeah, he's uh, got to see out his contract with Fenerbahce. Yeah, so uh, I'm I'm curious to see when he will start and if he can uh, move things around. I, yeah. We will see. A court in Alkmaar is to decide whether a 12-year-old boy with a brain tumour should be forced to undergo cancer treatment. The boy was taken into care last year when his mother refused to cooperate with the course of chemotherapy, preferring to put her faith in alternative medicine. His father wants the court to enforce the medical care, which doctors say would raise his chances of surviving from 50% to 80%. Yeah, a really sad story and yeah. a really uh, weird story. Um, yeah, an extremely difficult case, and obviously yeah. the, the, the parents are divorced, um, and they have completely different visions of how the boy should be treated, and yeah. the boy seems to be siding with the mother, so the court's now got to decide whether, as a 12-year-old, he is capable of making these kind of life-or-death decisions. Yeah, uh, I, sh- I, I really don't want to be in the position of the judge, to be honest. No, it's not an impossible uh, yeah. task, isn't it? So on, on one hand, I mean, he's he's had he's already had radiotherapy, um, mm. it's, yeah, obviously that's... Uh, that's for, to concentrate on the actual spot where the tumor is, but the doctors say he needs chemotherapy as well to kind of you know flush the yeah. cancer out of his his system. And they, he should have he was due to begin that treatment in March, but it's been held up of, of course because of this legal row. So it was, yeah, as well as being a very difficult decision, the, the you know the courts can't afford to hang about. They've got to make a quick decision, and uh, you yeah. know, justice systems aren't really set up for deciding things that quickly. Yeah, so it's very yeah. difficult indeed. And a decision is due on uh, May the twelfth, so in two weeks' yeah. time. Finance Minister and Eurogroup Chair Jeroen Dijsselbloem had a rough King's Day, and not because he was spending his money on women and oranje bitter. Dijsselbloem, sporting an orange tie, was in the European Parliament in Brussels, officially to debate the financial situation of Greece. But MEPs were more interested in cross-examining him about his infamous remarks on southern European countries. Right. So remind us again what it was that uh, Dyson Bloom said that got him into trouble. Yeah, well, he said, quote, I can't spend all my money on drinking and women and ask for more money afterwards, yeah, end yeah. quote. No, because he was uh, obviously referring to uh, Southern European countries uh, with this quote. Uh, for example, Portugal's economic minister, Manuel Cadera Cabral, he, he, he was leading the, the, the calls for him to uh, resign from the, uh, from the Eurogroup chair. Um, and instead of apologizing, he just said he felt sorry if these countries felt uh, offended. Uh, but he, he said he didn't regret using uh, this metaphor since... Uh, Quote again: Women and drinking is part of life. <laughs> yeah, as is uh, you know, handing out gratuitous insults. Yeah, and he said, "Well, I'm not a diplomat; I'm a politician." Yeah. So, uh, 
Um, and the debate in uh, the uh, European Parliament lasted two hours. Uh, before the debate started, MEPs were demanding his resignation. Uh, but afterwards, nobody talked about that anymore. Yeah, so he seems to have got away with it for now. But yeah, um, yeah so, so Dijsselbloem is going to stay on as chair of the Eurogroup, which is uh, the group uh, of finance ministers in the um, in, of the countries in the Eurozone. Presumably he's just hanging on really uh, until the new cabinet's formed. I mean, has he got any chance of uh, keeping his job longer than that? Uh, he was... He was planning on doing that. It, mm. it, it's not so sure anymore after these quotes because, well, <laughs> obviously, the Southern European countries has a has a vote in have a vote in this. So uh, that was a bad king's day for uh, <laughs> for Dijsselbloem. So sad faces all around at the European Parliament, <laughs> uh, but um, a, a, a more of a mix of expressions on the building in Amersfoort, where an architect has uh, found a novel way to reflect the mood of the moment by decorating the facade of a shopping centre with emojis. <laughs> so 22 of the ubiquitous expressive icons are now adorning the building in the town's Fatwas district, including the smiley face, the cheeky wink and the one with its tongue sticking out. Architect Shangis Tirani said his Atika architectural practice wanted to include a feature that identified the building as being from the current era well he definitely uh, managed yeah. to do that <laughs> yeah it definitely needs to be specifically from this year or the last couple of years because emojis are changing all the time yeah yeah because they, they did this a couple of years ago um with uh, another building they just put two emojis on oh but that was from back of the year of nokia phones so it's when your emojis were just basically punctuation marks all ah, right basically. so you had to uh, turn your head uh, upside down if you wanted to read the uh, yeah. emojis yeah if you wanted to see what uh, the signs on the building were you had to sort of tilt your head which probably wasn't very sensible when you're when you're crossing a busy road yeah or biking a bike <laughs> with uh, all your ch- children and your groceries yeah yeah what was your favorite emoji poll um well i have to uh, i i really like the uh heart-eyed cat oh yeah and uh i also have a thing for the uh, fried uh, shrimp right and do you have a, a favorite emoji favorite emoji no I've, i tend to use uh, the the kind of uh, just the one with the the crying with laughter one a lot so, ah but, uh, yeah, yeah because you're so, laughing all the time of yeah because I'm, I'm, I'm constantly uh, uh, laughing at the kind of obscure links you can find <laughs> on twitter <laughs> when you read something about that you start <laughs> exactly, uh, yeah. immediately start uh, yeah, laughing and crying at the same time <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's all indeed yeah Unfortunately, there's no scared face dog emoji. Otherwise, uh, Toby the Tackle could have used it because uh, he uh, uh, experienced a couple of scary hours uh, on Monday in the uh, Brabant city of Helford. Uh, While Toby the Tackle was being walked his usual route in a forest near his home, he decided to chase a rabbit. Toby followed uh, the rabbit into his hole, but unfortunately for Toby, he got stuck inside. Eventually, the local fire brigade had to be called to the scene to rescue Toby. The rescue operation, which required a small excavator, took three hours, and upon rescue, Toby immediately started chasing rabbits again. So he learned nothing from his experience. He learned nothing no. from his experience. And has he got no. his stuck down any more holes? Um, not that not that we know, <laughs> and it's also unclear if Toby reached Wonderland. <laughs> yes, well, he wasn't chased by a small girl and, uh, <laughs> and a hair wearing a hat and, and the Queen of Hearts. Yes. No. So, and then they had to get a small excavator so he couldn't just uh, dig him out with a spade or no know. yeah uh, apparently this hole was so deep or i'm mm. not in t- no no it was be- it was underneath the tree so they oh, had I to see. excavate the tree out first before they could rescue the dog so they have to uproot the tree to, yeah. to pull, pull him out of the out of the rabbit yeah, hole so uh, the dog destroyed the tree we could have uh, no. called uh, uh, could have made a headline out of that <laughs> Uh, We'll be discussing the uh, Dutch support of the uh, royal family uh, after these words from our sponsors. Do you drive or ride a bike? Are you in the train or on the train? 
If you're producing text in English but aren't sure of just the right wording, M Squared can help you. M Squared is a digital publications company that can help you with all of your writing, editing and translation needs. They have a combined 20 years experience crafting the perfect document from editing books to writing website copy. If you need help with your website text, brochure, thesis, press release and more, contact them at info at msqrd.com. I don't think anyone in this country didn't notice, King's Day was celebrated on Thursday. As the streets colored orange, Dutchmen sold their attic junk on the streets and the king celebrated his birthday in Tilburg, broadcaster NOS released its annual King's Day survey. It showed that support for the monarchy among Dutch citizens increased to 70% and they rated the king a 7.6 out of 10. This raises the question, why is the monarchy so popular in the Netherlands? Yeah, so first of all, um, what more details were there in the survey? Because this is a thing NAOS does every year, right? Yeah, they do it every year, mm. and, uh, and they showed a small increase. Uh, last year, it was uh, 67% uh, of the people that supported the monarchy. There was a big increase in uh, 2013, then uh, when the king was inaugurated, uh, then uh, 78% of the people had a uh, great deal or quite a lot of confidence uh, in the king. Yeah, and meanwhile, there's um, yeah, there, there seems to be very little appetite as well for you know republicanism. That's uh, yeah. so it got up to about what 15% a couple of years ago. Uh, the vast majority of, of the Dutch people uh, believe in the uh, in the monarchy. Yeah. Um, a, a tiny bit uh, uh, is republican, and uh, well, a, a tiny bit don't care. Yeah, actually. fair numbers. Yeah. Yeah, some people just indifferent. Yeah, yeah, yeah and and the, the king so he gets a solid kind of seven point six out of ten, which is a reasonable score, I suppose. But is um, Queen Maxima is even more popular? Yeah, she is. Uh, she has always been more popular than her husband. Uh, she got a eight from the. Yeah, eight, eight out of ten. Eight out of ten. Yeah, yeah so, so really she's endorsing. doing uh, pretty well. And Willem yeah. uh, Alexander's mother, the former queen, uh, she got a seven point six as well. Yeah, well done for her. Yeah. yeah. So what's the reason that uh, they've managed to maintain this kind of popularity uh, over the years? Uh, well, I think uh, Dutch people generally think the monarchy or the constitutional monarchy uh, works works for the Netherlands mm. um, uh, the monarchy brings people closer together um, uh, uh, people like the, the royals as well you can you notice that after the uh, television broadcast uh, on uh, on Wednesday um, people were generally very positive about the uh, about the interview and they just like the royal family and uh, it's also a, a rather good PR machine for the Netherlands abroad because if we just elected a president, we had President Mark Rutte now, mm. and if he would have been introduced somewhere, then yeah, it's President Mark Rutte of the Netherlands. And if you have His Majesty the King of the Netherlands, that yeah, it gives you a bit more kind of status and a bit more yeah, a bit more like glam, glamour factor, yeah, it? Prestige, indeed. yeah, and you get the you know the golden carriages and the yeah, yeah, all the rest of the you know, the kind of the, kind of the yeah. yeah. Even though the Dutch people generally don't like these um, a pump. Yeah, uh, pomp and ceremony. Yeah, opposed to the United Kingdom, I guess. Uh, we just like our royals to be down to earth, uh, uh, one of the guys, yeah. uh, th the guy next door. Yeah, because because the interview that uh, the king gave uh, on Wednesday night was uh, yeah, it was quite striking for the fact that it was very, as we said earlier on, it was a very personal interview. He talked about a lot of, you know, his own uh, his own feelings and his own experiences and that kind of thing for the. 
And for the royals in, in Britain to say, I mean, that's really unthinkable. I mean, you wouldn't even consider you know, the, the Queen giving a television interview or even Prince Charles, you know, the heir to yeah. the throne. Yes, but yeah. um, 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 uh, Prince Harry had an interview uh, two weeks ago uh, when he was talking about his uh, 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 psychological difficulties that he got when his mother died. So Yeah, that's there, true. There, so there's definitely a trend going on about royals that are opening up and uh, getting more personal. Possibly that's in, in Britain, that's kind of been the Diana factor. Yeah. That, yeah. Um, yeah since uh, that since then when the royals were criticized for not flying the flag at uh, half mast i think for a couple of days after she died and that was kind of a, seen as a as a real turning point that since then they have been started to become or well, certainly the the generation since so prince william and prince harry have become more open and personable but uh, i think did this um from from reading my history that seems to go a bit back a bit further in the netherlands because uh, Queen Juliana, didn't she um, um, go down to the scene of the floods in the 1950s and uh, really get in among uh, the people and go and visit, go, go into their houses? Yes, and also Queen Wilhelmina, when she uh, uh, came back to the Netherlands after World War II, she stayed for a couple of years in a normal house rather than going to a palace because she thought it was uh, not appropriate for her to uh, live in a palace. But also the, the other um, tradition that interests me uh, for the Dutch uh, royals is that they have, or they developed in the last couple of generations, this um, process of uh, abdicating, which, yeah. Um, yeah, how, do, how did that start? Uh, it started with uh, William I, the first king, actually. He yeah. wanted to, uh, Belgium split off of the Netherlands and he wanted to remarry with a Belgian baroness and, you know, no one allowed that. So he said, well, then I just uh, step down as king yeah. and then I can marry my, uh, uh, my, the love of my life. But it really started with um, uh, Queen Wilhelmina. She became queen when she was 18 and uh, after the war in 1948 she had been queen for almost 50 years so she thought well it's time for me to retire and uh, she handed it over to uh, Juliana and well she stepped down as well she abdicated too in favor of Beatrix and she uh, abdicated as well and when Beatrix abdicated in 2013 um, she um, uh, really set a trend because you, you immediately saw that other royals in Belgium and in uh, Spain uh, stepped down as well in favor of their young uh, oldest uh, children yeah so uh, we are trendsetters here. In yeah, the you're audience. trendsetters. Yeah, the trend hasn't been followed everywhere. I think <laughs> Prince Charles must be crossing his fingers every time a, a, a monarch steps down or abdicates <laughs> somewhere else in Europe. Thinks maybe finally this is the one. It's, the, cop- it's yes. the copycat. Uh, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. This one will just push her over yeah. the edge. Yes, but but the Queen of uh, England seems to want to go on and on and on. Yes. Yeah. Um, and but there have been some other. There have been some uh, kind of controversial characters in the uh, history of the Dutch royal family as well. Yeah, um, uh, the marriages are always controversial. <laughs> um, it started with uh, well, Juliana. She uh, she didn't when she married. It wasn't controversial, but her husband Prince Bernard. He became very controversial later on. Beatrix. She married Prince Klaus. He was a German and she married him after the war and there were still some uh, anti-German sentiments in, in the Netherlands. And of course, uh, uh, Willem-Alexander, when he married Princess uh, Maxima at that time, it was revealed that she was the daughter of a minister from the uh, Junta government of Argentina. That's right, yes. He, he was defense minister, I think, wasn't he? In the, uh, no, ag- agricultural he was minister. Agricultural. Yeah. He, was, yeah, he was agriculture minister in the Argentinian junta in the 1970s. Yeah. yeah. So, in the, so yeah. also a controversial match. But you were telling me as well, Paul, that uh, Prince Bernhardt uh, was the model for James Bond because the family uh, were in exile in London during the war. Yeah, indeed. Uh, uh, um, uh, Prince Bernard was involved with the war very much and he was um, uh, at one point in London he was having a dinner with uh, MI6 officials including uh, Ian Fleming and um, while they were having dinner this hotel got bombed 
Um, and uh, as uh, everyone was uh, trying to uh, flee the scene, um, um, Prince Bernard apparently jumped uh, over the remains uh, of the staircase, um, <laughs> um, uh, brushed the dust off his uh, suit, and uh, said, "Well, uh, let's carry on." So, um, <laughs> did he order a dry martini? <laughs> yeah, but he uh, wanted it shaken, not, not stirred. stirred. Yeah, yeah. Uh, very specific. <laughs> um, so um, apparently, it's not confirmed, but uh, it, it, some people whispered that that was uh, the moment Iron Fleming got inspired. To write his James Bond novels, ah. and Willem Alexander said when he became king that he wanted to kind of modernise the monarchy, didn't he? And uh, because obviously Beatrix had been queen since 1980, so he wanted to freshen things up a bit. Has he succeeded in doing that? Uh, yeah, I think he did. He, uh, you, you can definitely see that he has a different focus on on, on on things than his mother did. I think he he really looked at his mother and he saw this really stiff. Yeah. role for Dutch uh, 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 standards I yeah. guess and he really didn't uh, 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 saw himself doing the role his mother did and yeah. you know he, he reinvented the role of the king yeah. um, less political but uh, I think he has having fun yeah it was his early days for him I suppose he's only been king for four years and he's got plenty of time to grow into the role a bit his waving's got a bit better I think in the, in <laughs> yeah. the four years I've yeah. noticed because I remember that's, I remember that's one of the, the core business yeah. of the king yeah, yeah it's, it's one of the key one of the crucial things really yeah. where, he can, where he can wave convincingly Indeed. Uh, I remember on the day of his inauguration he said his mother had to prompt him to wave to the crowds even louder perhaps some waving yeah <laughs> yeah this was the first time Beatrix had a hot mic incident yeah but it, luckily for her it was the day that she actually step down as uh, from being queen yeah, so it doesn't count anymore no she got away with it <laughs> yeah uh, well uh, our hot mic uh, incident is coming to an end as well uh, this is the end of our podcast this is all we have for you this week this podcast is a production of Dutch News which can be found online at dutchnews.nl we will include links to everything we've talked about in the liner notes and you can now send comments compliments and abuse by email to podcast at dutchnews.nl my thanks to Gordon Derek. I'm Paul Peters and uh, we'll be back next week Thank you.